Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. And yes, this is Sarah Ellen. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we are just waiting for our Susan's um, line to show up here in the queue. Um, thanks for joining in and uh, want to let you know we are going to have a guest tonight joining us. I know Susan 
normally goes over this. I have not um, been introduced or haven't, um, not familiar with this gentleman, but I'm certainly awfully curious. He is a psychedelic advocate, and um, he's going to be talking to us about all types of things um, leading from his own experiences and how he went through a tragic loss um, in his personal life and um, went from a heroic journey on LSD um, and then moved into experiencing life with a new understanding. So um, as we move through the show this evening after we finish our question and answer, calls from all of you listeners. Um, we'll have 30 minutes with Michael Griswold this evening. So uh, let's see. I am still looking for Susan's number, and I may pop off for just a moment here to jump on the other line and see if I can reach her on the back channel. Uh, so give me a moment here, and I will be right back with you. Your sisters on a journey, singing now as one, remembering the ancient ways, the women and the wisdom, the women and the wisdom. We are sisters on a journey, singing in the sun, singing through the darkest night, the healing has begun, begun. Healing has begun. We are sisters on a journey, singing now as one, remembering the ancient ways, the women and the wisdom, the women and the wisdom. We are sisters on a journey, singing in the sun, singing through. The healing has begun, begun, the healing has begun. Welcome, Susan. Hey, welcome, Sarah Ellen. Whoa, there I am dialing in, and the phone is saying, no service, you know, those cat thunderstorms. Mm, my goodness. Rumble-de-rum-rum, Rip Van Winkle, right? That's what got Rip Van Winkle going to sleep. Rip mm. Van Winkle was out for a walk in the Catskills and started to go rumbly rum rum. And old Rip said, oh, that must be Hendrick Hudson and his men playing at nine pins, right? We would call it bowling. Mm. Because the thunder here sounds like that. It sounds like a, a bowling ball rolling across a wooden alley because of the, the many mountains, right? So it's not just like, boom, it's like, rum, 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 rum. Yeah. Old Rip was lulled to sleep by this rumble of the Catskill thunderstorms. 
<laughs> we were out on the boat the other day, and we could look into the Catskills and see the rain clouds over them. And we could see how the rain would, like, come out of the cloud in one place, just in one place, every place else. It wasn't getting rained on, but that one place you could see the rain just pouring down from the cloud. Oh, how lovely. So mm. typical of our weather here at this time mm. of the year. And making me ever so hopeful for a good mushroom year. Yum. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are things there with you? Cool. Things here have been a little bit, well, they've been spicy, I would say. Um, I headed down to Florida last week, and I tuned into a conference on my way, a virtual conference, and I realized, like, between the eclipses and the Hypericum conference and solstice and family visits and then that conference, I was like, whoo, 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 there were activations everywhere for me, and things were just um, coming together and popping in, and questions I've asked for so long are just, like, the answers are right there, staring me in my face my whole life, like, the whole universe has been singing, and, but don't, you know, the whole, the whole production, though, you know, singing songs of rage and joy and, like, all of the above, so grief, the, the whole thing, so it's been a really expansive two weeks. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Wow, okay. yes. Hey! Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can really feel the joy bubbling in you. I'm so glad. Mm, thank you so much, Susan. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Was, mm-hmm. I called you in the midst of like uh, oh, like anger and grief meltdown, and I was thinking, I just need to call Susan and say, I need a talking to. <laughs> and, uh, so thanks. I think just that out loud, I was able, you know, uh, okay, there's space for a talking to, and when I'm able to hear, things are going to come, and boy, have they. It's been so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got my copy of uh, Worst Pills, Best Pills, Ooh. and I opened it up to a great chart of drugs that cause sensitivity to sunlight. Mmm. Ingredients and commonly used prescription and over-the-counter drugs, as well as cosmetics, can cause photosensitivity. And now we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, I would say maybe like sixty or seventy different substances that cause photosensitivity that are commonly available. So I'm going to add this. You know, you said let's add shorts to the Hypericum Conference. I'm definitely going to add that to the Hypericum Conference because I think it's important that we understand that photosensitivity is an accepted side effect. Uh, uh. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not even like this article is saying don't use these drugs. They cause photosensitivity. They're just saying... Oh, it's summertime, and these drugs cause photosensitivity. So put on more sunscreen. That's really what. That's really the, the push of what they're saying there. Not that there's something wrong if the drugs are causing photosensitivity. So I find it, you know, very uh, duplicitous that as herbalists um, we are told 
um, that, oh, this herb isn't safe to use because it can cause photosensitivity. So I'm showing um, Italia, a Virginia creeper. Ah, mm. tasty. <laughs> right, because many people confuse five leaf ivy and Virginia creeper. Mm. And I can see why. Virginia creeper has five leaves. But the leaves on the Virginia creeper have long petioles so that each leaf has like a little leaf stalk. And they're pretty big, too. I would say each each of the five leaflets of the leaf I brought home is about as big as a hand. Oh, wow. Whereas the five-finger ivy, you remember, really does look like poison ivy. It's not that much bigger, and the leaflets don't have petioles. They come together at the, and it, I'm not really even clear on my nomenclature here, the stalk of the leaf, because it's a vine, I don't know if the, the stalk that comes up to the five little stalks is called the petiole, and these are petiolets or something cute. Sounds like some Victorian ladies' undergarment, doesn't it? It does. Uh, It's been a somewhat frustrating time um, because it's been wet, 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 wet. It's almost impossible to harvest hypericum when it's wet, and it certainly is impossible to harvest red clover when it's wet. And, oh, I was in this place today, and there was so much red clover, and I reached over and touched it, and it was like a sponge in the bathtub. It was so wet. Uh, uh, Hard to see all this beautiful red clover, unharvestable. Come on, sun, dry it out. And then some insect has decided to start chewing away at the tops of the mullein plants. Oh, no. Yes, eating them from the tops down. So a little break between the showers. When it was actually dry and the sun was shining and had been for a bit, I went out and harvested, uncharacteristically, mullein leaf. Ah. Usually I like to harvest the whole stalk because I find that the leaves dry better when they're on Mm. the stalk. Matter of fact, I already have one leaf that is being rejected. It's all spotted brown, probably from those insects that are gnawing their way into it. Oh. Ah. It's that lovely time in the garden when you get to glow with pride at the growth of all the things that you have planted. And you can almost... Ignore the fact that all the things you haven't planted are that big, too. Mm. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, little flowers come out, and I don't, something dawned on me. I had a chuckle. You, you were like, uh, that is not the plant you think it is. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Oh, the things you house. didn't plant are growing too. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> so we got a lot of smoke here today. We're back in the poor air quality. And today was one of those days where I just couldn't even really be outside. You're talking about rain. And for us here, it was 
oh, there was so much that I wanted to do outside. And it just, it, going outside felt, I felt almost instantly tired being out there. Like, just no, go back inside. Um, and it's just so hazy and the wind is just blowing the smoke through. It's not blowing it out. It's just moving it. You can see it rolling from the tree line and the hills through the pastures and then across again. It's just so thick today. Oh, dear. Ooh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I've never known that Canada's wildfires would do this for so long, for summer, and so far from where it was going on. Wow. We're, getting, we're getting kind of suspicious here now. We look up and we say, is that clouds or smoke? Mm, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, the sun, it looks so strange. It looked like I was in a really, like, a dust storm on a desert or something this morning. It was just after sunrise, and normally the sun would be so bright and high in the sky, and you can't really look at it, but no, not today. It was just all in a haze of smoke, and it just just you could see it as a perfect ball. Um, it was so interesting. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. We have a really remarkable guest tonight. Now, all of our guests are remarkable, and that we can remark on them. But Michael Griswold is the survivor of a awful trauma who somehow, um, after trying everything that didn't work, found something that did work and since then has devoted himself to helping others. His journey began when his pregnant wife and unborn son were killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. His heroic journey with LSD allowed him to discover the love that he had for his wife wasn't meant to control reality. Michael Griswold will be with us this evening at 9 o'clock to talk about how psychedelics help us heal after trauma, how they show us the big picture. Stick with us until then or come back at 9 to hear what Michael has to say. What other news do you have? Hmm. Well, I think, um, let's see, Red Clover has been really, you know, things are starting to get put into this cauldron, and I'm really feeling her, um, feeling, feeling things gathering. And, yeah, that's um, something that's been going on for me since I've been back from Florida. And, um yeah, I don't see any hands raised, so I'll just I'll share one of the things that I've been really just um, has come into my face that I've opened to lately is um, witches. <laughs> uh, really feeling that and finding paths that I um, just the the it's so it's been really exciting, like tying the Magdalene to the witches, and in that finding my own ancestral threads of reality has just been so exciting. So that is, um, you know, kind of part of the journey I've been on for the last, well, forever, but um, that has been really coming in the last couple weeks. 
So, um, yeah, that's something else that's been going on fun over here. A lot of fun. Yes. The, mm-hmm. the applications for being a presenter at the Red Clover Conference are available. That link is available. And the link for shorts is also available. I saw both of them come in from Allie today. So you can just go out, sit yourself down with Red Clover, talk to us about your experiences with Red Clover. I love the shorts. They're, I think, one of my favorite parts of the conferences, although, of course, I love the presentations as well. And if you want to sit and talk about Sweet Clover and your experience with Sweet Clover, or if there's some other clover, people often ask me about white clover. And so this summer I have been making um, a little experiment as I have been harvesting the red clover. Now and then I have been picking, well, it's not actually white clover. It's alphite clover. It's the one that is both white and pink. Mm. And it's very interesting to me. I'm harvesting at the same time, taking the same care of it that I'm taking with the red clover. Um, that is setting the, the flowers up individually so they don't touch, picking them, you know, on days when it's not wet. And they're not drying anywhere nearly as well as the red clover is drying. Mm. What's happening to them? They're just... They're... They're kind of, they're just browning up, Mm. and they don't look very vibrant. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I can see that the smallest ones that I pick, because I pick them in various stages of coming open, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Smallest, the less mature ones that I pick, because the um, white clover and the outside clover, all the blossoms don't blossom simultaneously. That's another thing, right? And the red mm-hmm. clover, you get that beautiful, like, globe of flowers, because all the blossoms bloom, boom, just at once. Whereas on the white clover and the outside clover, they ha- have more like a continuum or a gradation. Interesting. I'm going to have to start playing with this because I have so much of the, are, how are you saying, alpine clover? Yes, the one that's okay. pink and red. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Pink and white, I mean. Oh. Not, yeah, not yeah, pink, red. pink and white. And, it, and, and again, it's like, it, it, it kind of looks like white clover, but then if you look, you see that the, the mature ones are pink. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the one that I'm looking at so much of. And the goats don't like to eat it, so I have plenty to play with. I don't know why, but they just leave all the clover here. They just do not regard the clover or the plantain. They don't want anything to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Clover and alfalfa can be quite poisonous for goats. There you go. I knew wise, and that was you know, wasn't worried about it, wasn't offering it to them. So there we go. Interesting. They leave it. They don't plenty of that. Yeah, so they know. I had a dear friend who kept 
really beautiful herd of purebred dairy goats. And somebody said to her, hey, I made a cutting of alfalfa hay. Why don't you get this nice alfalfa hay to your goats? And she did, and they all died, every single one of them. Oh, that's horrible. It was just horrible. She had no idea that she was going to kill her goats by feeding them alfalfa hay. Of course, or she wouldn't have done it. Wow. Just Yeah, it was really like, whoa. Mm. Wow. So, oh, we just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's certainly the alfalfa thing, um, or the alfalfa things, is one of the reasons that I am such a big fan of red clover. Mm-hmm. When I was first studying herbs and herbal medicine in the 60s, people were very much into alfalfa. Alfalfa greens as a tea, alfalfa sprouts, alfalfa was like a big deal. And I had a kind of visceral reaction to alfalfa that said to me, this isn't okay for you. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if it was just like, okay, it's not okay for me or it's really not okay. Do you know about the systemic insecticides that are put on some seeds? Yes, and they're not good for bees at all. And they're not Very totally not. good for Well, the first right. seeds that were used on were alfalfa. Oh. And that was starting way back decades and decades ago. Wow. So that was the other thing that I didn't like what they were doing with the alfalfa seed, that it was pelletized and already had an herbicide and a fertilizer with it when you bought the seed. Now, of course, you could get, like, organic seed for sprouting without the pelletized, but all farmers were sowing the pelletized seed because it spread more evenly and grew better. Oh, my goodness. Sure. So I I looked to see if there was, like, an alfalfa substitute, as it were, And that's when I started reading about red clover and all of the amazing anti-cancer uses of red clover. And so it really um, is ironic that one of the perhaps most effective and most proven anti-cancer herbs, if you look on the Internet, um, you will be told in no uncertain terms that if you have a breast cancer diagnosis, you should never take. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been finding a lot of that. How, and I've been also opening some, um, some pages that are, are surprising me of how open to the other they are and saying exactly the opposite. They're all out of the country. <laughs> Um, but I'm really hoping that we can get some of those presenters, people, to come as presenters for the conference because the information is still in practice out there right now, and it's so interesting seeing the like opposites being on online. And, and certainly, my returns from Google are much more like you know, cancer diagnosis, red clover, no, um, no, but right. But no, there's way more to the to the whole picture than that, and 
there are practitioners all over the world that are saying exact opposite, and there are the things like The clover is one of the most effective anti-cancer herbs we have. Absolutely, for prostate and breast and all other. So, yeah. It's and especially the ones that recommend you don't use it if you have. Right. 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 So it's, yes, I've already like I am I I am in on red clover like research and reading already. It's just been such a open the door and whoo I'm in. I love it. It's really been everyone just get excited. Red clover is whoo. <sighs> but don't abandon hypericum yet because there are still hypericum t-shirts. Oh yes, and they oh, are too. WiserManBookshop.com and get your Hypericum shirts. They will not last forever. Remember, they're very limited printings. And especially, I beg of you, big women, please buy T-shirts because I realized last time with the comfort shirts that I didn't buy enough big sizes. So this time I bought big sizes. And what do we have left of the big sizes? So big ladies, help me out here by the big sizes of the Hypericum Goddess T-shirt. She's beautiful. I always get so many compliments when I wear my shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The blue is so rich and just oh, I mm. just I love that you picked the blue to go there. I I I just I love that. I love that. So the whole shirt has so much going on beyond the beautiful goddess. The way everything comes together is just, it's a magical shirt, everyone. So big ladies, yes, you're very lucky that your sizes are left. Definitely get your shirt before they're gone. They're so beautiful. Um, Well, it's 7, well, 8 o'clock where you are, and I see a first hand coming up here. Are you ready for um, some callers? Yes. Let's talk to them. All right. Well, I'll remind everyone listening that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. I see two hands that are raised, and we'll go first to the 646 area code. To the 646, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Steve here from Florida. Hi, Steve. How are you doing tonight? Good, thank you. Had uh, success. Uh, hernia surgery um, as um, as we discussed if you remember um, I do had the mesh on the left hand side second time round um, and went really well thank you um, just thought I'd give you an update um, although one strange thing I've never had it's a bit TMI, but uh, I'm sure you hear all sorts on this radio station. I have never had hemorrhoids before, and the second day after the surgery, I developed a, um, uh, it's like the, probably the size of a grape hemorrhoid, and um, it just wouldn't move. It literally was, they I, I, call it a prolapsed hemorrhoid, I think. Yes, very, um, very uncomfortable and painful. Oh, and you know what? I during the during the recovery from the hernia with the pain and so on, that was more uncomfortable and I wouldn't say painful, but it was it was pretty painful. But it was um, I was so miserable, um, <laughs> to be honest. 
and um, went back to the so surgeon. So did they offer you surgery to remove that? They, yeah, so I went back to the same surgeon that did that my hernia repair. He does hemorrhoid care. And uh, I went back there and he gave me a few options. He said you could wait a couple of weeks and it, it should go away. It should go back in. It was an external hemorrhoid. It wasn't the internal that came out. It was, an, you know, an external. And uh, he said I could go over to ER and then they could um, knock me out and then put sur do surgery on it. Or I could have local anesthetic, which I took the local anesthetic thinking it wouldn't be so bad. And I was, I drove home. Oh my God, I was in so much pain. They, they literally cut it out basically. Uh, not sure what your thoughts are on on that where, as a as a procedure whether that would would have been your first choice, um, but so I was basically healing healing twice over in the end afterwards. <clears throat> literally yeah. in the end. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So um, so I've I've just been back to see him today, and he he's kind of said it's healing well and so on, but. Uh, yeah, and I, he, I, I've never had hemorrhoids before, but he said the body works in strange ways sometimes after surgery, and um, you know, it just I, he couldn't, couldn't really give me an answer, but um, yeah. So just thought I'd give you an update on that, really. Yes, there varicose veins and hemorrhoids are a bit of a mystery. They're basically, yeah. you know, just uh, relaxed. Uh, but we don't want them to be relaxed. We want them to be toned up. I do know that Oak Park and Oak Park Sits Baths have been very successful at okay. reducing or eliminating external hemorrhoids. Ah, Oak Park. Mm-hmm. Okay, because okay, I've still got a bit of a tag there where, you know, where it didn't all get removed. But um, he said maybe leave it six months, see how it is, and then maybe come back and get that removed if um, if needed, you know. But so that was interesting. Easy oh, for uh, them to say, "We'll just remove it." You're the one who has to endure the pain. Yeah, I know, and that's you know, I had my butt in the air this afternoon, and I thought I'm not going through that again to take this out. I'm just yeah, I'm not ready for that right now. So, uh, Oak bark, and it really, most of the time when herbalists talk about bark, we really mean inner bark. But with oak bark, we mean the bark, the chunks of bark from the oak tree that are so rich in tannin. And those tannins are antibacterial, incredibly astringent. And they just really astringe that tissue, which, as we said, is nothing wrong with it. It's just relaxed, and we want it to be toned. And that oak bark tones it up and counters infections really worth doing it. The tannins stain, so I suggest that you don't do it like in your in your bathtub because it will stain your tub that you actually just buy a plastic okay. sit thing that you can sit in, right? Yeah, I was supposed to buy one of those where you, you place it in the toilet and you, um, exactly. you do the, the, the pump and then action. You put, yeah. put your, or your warm whatever in there and then you sit in it. And okay. that's and that's just where you put your oak bark. So you get your oak bark and you boil it up with some water and it'll turn really dark and then you sit in it and it will 
astringe and tighten the tissue and help get rid of any bacteria. Okay, brilliant. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was actually uh, when I went to back to the surgeon. It was on the Tuesday, but it was um, it was at like four thirty in the afternoon, and it was a couple of hours before your show. And I was like, "Shall I? Shall I, <laughs> shall I speak to Susan Weed and um, reschedule my appointment?" And in the end, I went. You know, but um, yeah, I'm glad I spoke with you. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, if you don't mind. Um, so, over the years, I've had. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm from I'm from the UK, if you gather with my accent. Um, and growing up as a as a, a late teen into my twenties, it was the culture was to drink quite heavily in the bars, as you can imagine. Um, maybe, um, but as I've into my early 40s my kind of relationship with alcohol has changed drastically over the years and it's just gone from you know my tolerance level to alcohol has gone so downhill and I I'm, I'm, I'm actually at the point now where I don't really want to drink alcohol anymore just because it it affects me so much but I'm getting to the point where I'll have I, I can barely drink there's not much alcohol that I can drink now without being sick. And I've now got to the point where I'm, I'll have one or two glasses of wine with my wife at night. I'm talking two. There was a few weeks ago where I had two small glasses of red wine. And I was violent. I, I get to the point now where I'm violently sick the next day. And I literally can't even. My body rejects water. I, and I'm, you know, I'm... I'm I'm sick. I'm I'm over over a, a toilet for all morning, all afternoon, the next day, just from a very small amount of alcohol. And I've tried to do a bit of research on it. I'm not sure if it's if my body no longer has the enzyme, or my liver doesn't have the enzyme to break down the the poison, so to speak, or or if it's something else. But um, I, I've now got it to the point where I'm... It would certainly I, be worth your while to be checked for hepatitis. The hepatitis, okay. Interesting, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there are of course, many different forms of hepatitis. But all okay. of them impair your liver's ability to um, get rid of alcohol. But I share that with you. Uh, and when you said you could hardly drink alcohol for all, but since you drank two glasses of wine, I'm going, wait a second, two glasses of wine? If I drink a quarter of a glass of wine, I feel like a car ran over me that night, and the next day I feel like a train ran over me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I've gone from that. The vomiting says to me that something else is going on. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm thinking, hmm, hepatitis, what okay. is causing this liver to be so very upset? Usually, if you're going to throw up from the alcohol, you throw up while you're drinking. Yeah, so, and I, I go right? to bed feeling fine. Yeah, I go to bed feeling fine. Um, right. But you're not you're not throwing up when you're drinking. You're not throwing up. You're, and then the next day, 
So this says, yeah. hmm, I'm not so sure that it's, that we're just going to say that this is alcohol. Perhaps there's something else going on. And it's okay. pretty easy to test it for all the different kinds of hepatitis. As a matter of fact, they're really happy to test people. They like to test people for hepatitis because it's the kind of problem that you can have and then it can get to the point where you're almost dead from it and you don't really know because the liver doesn't have any nerve endings. And if even a teaspoonful of your liver is still functional, it's like your liver is still functioning. I see. What causes, uh, I know there's so many different types of hepatitis, but what, what generally causes it? You can get hepatitis from water. You can get hepatitis from food. You can get hepatitis from blood. Okay. So at this point, there's no hepatitis in the blood supply, but in the past, way back in the past, people got hepatitis from a blood transfusion. Sharing needles can spread hepatitis because of the blood. Right. Right. Um, But as I said, there are many different kinds. As a matter of fact, I think that I I read that there was just some recall of something uh, that had been sold at all the big big places like Sam's uh, because it was spreading some kind of hepatitis. Ah. Okay. It's not uncommon. It's not common. It's not uncommon, you know. Every three or four or five years, there's a recall, okay. or somebody or somebody gets hepatitis from food, and especially people over the age of sixty, uh, there's a really a big push to screen everybody over the age of sixty. I think because before that, the blood supply could have been contaminated with hepatitis. It wasn't screened enough for, and so, again, it's possible to have hepatitis and have really severe hepatitis without knowing that you have it at all. Oh, right. I remember I did get um, shell, shell food. Um, shell food. I, did, I had paella in Madrid in, back in about 2015, and I had serious, really bad food poisoning. Yeah. I don't know if that's um, something potentially um, a cause. I don't know. Just food poisoning generally. Yeah, there was um, somebody that I was working with um, who was getting tested to schedule his cancer treatment, and they said, oh, cancer treatment has to be put on hold. You have hepatitis. Okay, wow. And he had no idea. And they they spent the time to clear the hepatitis before they treat him for the cancer. Ah, would they have checked for hepatitis before when I had my, um, is it pre-off, they call it, uh, when I went for my hernia surgery? They might Okay. You should ask them. Okay, I will. I'll do that. Um, and then, like, when I was doing some research online, um, like, I, I'm i 15 stone five, uh, sorry, uh, I'm talking pounds, <laughs> uh, 270 <laughs> 217 pounds uh-huh. and um, to look at me I, I'm, I'd say my physique isn't so I, I think I'm clinic I, I would be considered obese but it's only my stomach really that's that's fat you know the rest of my body isn't so bad but I do wonder if um, these symptoms could be 
of a fatty liver. Um, that is certainly possible. And, and maybe, yeah, it's, I yeah. Mean, I've been doing a bit of research on it. I've, I've looked at some of your easing with um, some of the herbs to to use for fatty liver, like the, I think it was yellow dock and... Um, yellow dock, dandelion, burdock, milk thistle, right. the liver-loving right. ladies. Yeah, okay. Any or uh, all, of, whatever you have access to, they'll be all happy to help. Another really interesting liver-loving plant is Shisandra. Yeah, I've got Shisandra. <laughs> Shisandra berry even has a reputation for getting rid of hepatitis. Oh, does it really? Wow. Yeah, I've got Shisandra. I've got um, I've got home apothecary, so um, so um, I'll uh, yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm actually sitting here seeing salted Shisandra berries are so good. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I think you spoke about that in the past. Cool. All right. Well, uh, well, thanks for the advice, and I'll I'll let you know I'll get on. All right. Thanks for keeping me updated and staying in touch. Continue to. Of course. Green blessings. Good night. Bye. Green blessings. All right, and. If you have a question for Susan this evening and would like to speak live with her, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. At this time, oh, our hand in the queue that was raised just disappeared. (laughs) It's back. All right. The vanishing hand has reappeared from the 585. You are seen and live with Susan. Thank you. Hello, Susan. Hi. Uh, I'm, um, I've had for 37 years an illness that I got after I received a vaccine. And it is the most bizarre thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Morgellons disease. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of Morgellons disease, yes. Well, I've had it longer than most people. And I am, um, I've worked with many, many different people, but the first 20 years I worked with all Western medicine. So I was chock full of antibiotics, and now I'm working a lot with the medical medium. I don't know if you've heard of him, Anthony William. Um, I'm actually using his book. Mr. Celery? Yes, guy. Yes. But I have, um, I, I can't talk to him anymore because he's, not available. I never tried. He's just writing books over and over again, and they're phenomenal. But I have these, I know I have parasites, and I have them in my skin. I've done uh, two parasite cleanses with all kinds of herbs, and they've helped tremendously. But I have a very dark mottled area on my right leg that isn't healing. And I was wondering, is there a poultice or something you could recommend that I could try to get this stuff out. The reason I know I have the parasites there is because I have fibers come out, and I know the fibers, the um, nanos, are attracted to parasites, and I, and they caught, develop the fibers. They reproduce on their own. So is there, I, I've heard, I, I was working with a psychic, believe it or not, and she said I have roundworms. But I know there's other parasites besides roundworms, and I don't know I don't know what I'm dealing with. Any suggestions? Roundworm is a very common 
uh, parasite of the intestines when people use outhouses and are barefoot. Okay. Is that your circumstance? I've gone barefoot a lot in the past. And used uh, an outhouse when you were barefoot. You know, as a kid, I might have. Yeah, I, I might have, yeah. Because you got, I, if you picked up round worm as a kid, it's long gone. Oh, well, no, I haven't used an outhouse in probably 25 years. Yeah. So I sincerely doubt that you have round worms. Okay. Um, the herbs that are used to help to draw things out from the skin are herbs that are slippery. Plantain leaf is used. Comfrey leaf is used. Violet leaf is used. Marshmallow leaf or root is used. All of these herbs have what's called a mucilage, which I always think of as glue. It's kind of the opposite of a glue. It's an unglue. So things that are like stuck in you, they unglue and pull out. Okay. I like that. Okay. Like plantain was used to pull bullets out of wounds and arrowheads out of wounds. Wow. Yeah. And comfrey, too. Okay. So, um, do you have access to any of these plants? Do I have um, Don't know. Okay. I, you live in what part of the country? Uh, New York, New York, Western New York. Oh, good. Well, you definitely have access to plantain, okay. which is a, a common uh, cohabitor in lawns. There's two kinds that grow in lawns, the lance leaf and the broad leaf. European herbalists swear that the lance leaf is stronger. American herbalists prefer the broad leaf. What can I say? Okay. Whatever kind of plantain you have, you can pick it. You can smush it up any way you want to. The ideal way to use plantain is for you to sit with the plantain leaf that you're going to use and to tell it what you want it to do. Put your hand on it, tell it what you want it to do. Uh Wait for its agreement, then pick that leaf. I usually use a pair of sharp scissors. And chew it up. Okay. If you need or want to rinse it off first, that's absolutely fine. <clears throat> but chew it up. Don't swallow it. Chew it up. And then put that poultice, which is called a spit poultice, onto okay. your leg. There are healing enzymes in your spit for your body. Okay. Oh, okay. Which, I love- and they activate certain aspects of the plantain so that you get more from the plantain using it as a spit poultice than you would if you used it as an ointment. Okay. And since it's such a common 
uh, cohabitor of lawns, I'm sure you will find it just while we're talking because it's such a, a pleasant recollection. I was uh, <clears throat> domiciled while I was teaching at the home of an MD, and she served me a stale bagel and a dull knife for breakfast, and the obvious happened. I slashed my finger open, and I bled all over her white kitchen. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, class is going to be late. And I said, why is that? She said, because we have to go to the hospital for stitches. And I said, oh, no. And I walked outside, and she had, you know, a chem lawn. There was nothing but green grass in her lawn, and I kept walking, and I walked across the sidewalk. We were in the suburbs. And I walked you know, into the little green area past the the, uh, the sidewalk, the verge, and that was still Kim Lawn too. But as that, you know, kind of curled over into the street, a plantain was growing there, kind of sticking out into the street, and I took a leaf from it and chewed it up and spit it on my wound. And she, of course, had trailed along behind me. And although my mother always told me it was rude to read people's minds, nonetheless, sometimes they just really have it like a neon sign on their faces. And on her face, it was, OMG, I cannot believe this woman has got this horrible wound that I would take to the hospital and have disinfected and sewn shut. And she's spitting plants on it that she harvested from the road. So to give her something to do, I asked her for a Band-Aid so she could take her mind off of what I had just done, which was to pick a plantain leaf, chew it up, and spit it on my wound. At lunch, she came over to me, and she said, could I see the wound? And this time, I did have to read her mind just a little bit, but she was really envisioning that it would be really ugly and infected and red, and of course, it was almost completely healed, and she was astonished. Wow. That's impressive. Plantain is such a wonderful herb. I'm sure that you and plantain are going to have a long and wonderful relationship because plantain, I know, is going to offer you a lot of special healing. Oh, I love it. Okay. I'm going to do that for sure. Okay. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Great blessing. I really appreciate it. Good night. Good night. All right, and at this time, I don't see any hands raised, so I'll remind everyone, if you would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. Uh, We do have an email question that was sent in, if you'd like to hear that. I would. Uh, Just a moment to open that up, and all right. Hi, Susan. Thank you for your lovely podcast and all the information you share with us. I would like to ask a question about inflammation. I suffer from migraines and hormonal imbalances and have been struggling to keep inflammation markers down and the sedimentation rate in my blood. I've been working with a naturopath who recommended flaxseed omega-3 oils since I am allergic to all fish and turmeric. However, these have yielded no results, and my CRP levels keep going up. I know you are not a fan of flaxseed oil, cancer in a can, and I don't feel very confident in it. I'm also questioning the very high amounts of turmeric that have been recommended, 6,000 milligrams daily. I cycle metal and oat straw infusions daily, but have not been very consistent with them since January. I would love to learn about Herbal Allies for Inflammation. Thank you. Oh, 
what a wonderful letter. Goodness, if we didn't get a letter like that, we should have made it up. <laughs> In fact, um, this weekend, I did a class on herbal anti-infectives and a class on chronic problems. And I started the class on chronic problems by saying that I used to teach about chronic problems and say, well, you know, one chronic problem is like asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And say, so those are really just inflammation. And then another chronic problem is joint pain and arthritis, and those are generally inflammation. And I would go on, you know, blood vessel disease, inflammation. After a while, I listened to myself and I said, you know, it's just pointless to teach about individual herbs or individual problems. It's all inflammation. It's just inflammation, Susan. The whole, the whole, the whole problem that we experience is inflammation. And you have heard me say, uh, so Ellen and those of you who listen, that turmeric doesn't work. It just doesn't work as an anti-inflammatory in real life. I understand it's a great anti-inflammatory in the lab, but it just doesn't work in real life when it's taken powdered in capsule form. <clears throat> if you were to take that amount of turmeric, <clears throat> heat it up in butter or ghee, right, really kind of roast it a little bit in the hot butter or ghee, and then add some rice or some lentils and cook that for a few minutes and then add boiling water and cook it for an hour and eat that six to eight times a day, that turmeric would probably act as an anti-inflammatory. But the way you're ingesting it is not going to act as an anti-inflammatory. And worse yet, because it's so ineffective, lots of people put black pepper with it to try to get it to work. And, of course, black pepper is one of my favorite inflammatories. So, when I was talking about chronic problems this weekend, I talked about anti-inflammatory diets and that whatever chronic problem we're dealing with, it really behooves us to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. In fact, uh, personally, I think it's great to eat an anti-inflammatory diet so you don't get any chronic problems, whether you have one or not. An anti-inflammatory diet is a great idea. And as you write your questioner, um, you are correct. Drinking nourishing herbal infusion a quart a day is one of the mainstays of an anti-inflammatory diet. Not just nettle, not just oat straw, but red clover and comfrey and linden. They are all anti-inflammatory, but linden is the most anti-inflammatory of them. And I estimate that linden is maybe a 100 times better anti-inflammatory than turmeric. And you wouldn't want to take it in a capsule. You take it as a delicious wonderful tea, hot or cold, sweetened or not. Usually, um, even rotating twice through the five nourishing herbal infusions, stinging nettle, oat straw, red clover, comfrey, and linden, which means you really only had two quarts of linden, will usually already start to show anti-inflammatory effects. Partly because linden is such an anti-inflammatory, but partly because all of the nourishing herbal infusions are anti-inflammatory. 
the next really important part of an anti-inflammatory diet is to remove inflammatory foods from the diet. I, first of all, suggest that all pepper in all forms be removed, whether it's black pepper, cayenne pepper, chipotle pepper, whatever kind of pepper it is. And that includes the pepper in curry powder and the pepper in chili powder and the pepper in chili and the pepper in food. I have always been happy to hear back from skeptical people that pepper couldn't be possibly having any impact on their inflammation at all. And I say, give it a couple of weeks. Take yourself off anything with pepper in it for two weeks and tell me what happens. And the most skeptical people tell me that they will never go back to eating pepper because they now see how much it inflamed them. An anti-inflammatory diet is high in fruits and vegetables, but those have to be not raw fruits or vegetables. So that means that they are well-cooked, or they are frozen, or they are dehydrated, or they are fermented, or they are marinated. These are all good ways to increase the anti-inflammatory effects of all fruits and vegetables because every fruit and every vegetable is anti-inflammatory. Plants, by their nature, are under a huge oxidative stress. So they have to make anti-inflammatory, antioxidant components in order for them to stay alive. So whenever... You're actually eating plants, not something made from plants, not a plant-based food, but eating the plants. Then you are really striking a home run for reducing inflammation in your body and reducing all chronic problems. But again, that's not raw. That is heated sufficiently for most vegetables. That's about an hour of cooking or frozen. I'm a big fan of frozen fruits and vegetables, and I have been for a long, long, long time for the simple reason that I generally follow things from farm to store, and so I know that especially your fruit but all of your produce has to be harvested green in order to get to the store in a state where it's not overripe. And that means it never really developed its full potential of vitamins. Whereas when that food is frozen, it is picked at the peak of its flavor, the peak of its ripeness, the peak of its vitamins, and frozen, which keeps those nutrients right there for you. We know that there's a lot of food waste in America, and a lot of that food waste is good produce that people buy intending to cook it, but just never get around to it, and it winds up at the best in the compost, at the worst, in a plastic bag somewhere. When you buy frozen fruits and vegetables, you don't have to worry about that. You can break off just the amount that you want to eat, cook it quickly, and it's 
all ready to give you anti-inflammatory effects. So those are the three major parts of an anti-inflammatory diet. Drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day. Kick the pepper habit right out of your diet. And make sure that you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, cooked, frozen, dehydrated, fermented, or marinated. You know, we still haven't gotten every American to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And most of the time when I look at my dinner plate, there's five servings of fruits and vegetables on my dinner plate, not to even mention the ones I eat in between. Now, you are allergic to all kinds of fish and therefore have a sense that it's difficult to get omega-3 fatty acids. Do we have an herb for you? Purslane, Puchulaca, is one of the few plants that actually provides omega-3 fatty acids, not ALA, like flaxseed. Flaxseed doesn't actually have omega-3. It has something that has to be converted to something like omega-3 in the body. And you're right, the conversion doesn't work in a great many people, especially if they have chronic problems where their gut flora is probably not working as well as it should. Purslane is a common weed. It's a weed of the summertime. Often purslane doesn't even sprout until the last week of June, but once it gets going, it grows rapidly. It's lush. It's succulent. It grows in northern gardens as well as southern gardens. It will grow in damp soils and totally dry soils. Purslane is a plant that loves us all and is here to help. So there's a whole host of green allies to help you. Green blessings. Wow. A lot. That was amazing. Um, all right. And I don't have another email question at this time. So I'll remind everyone, if you would like to speak live with Susan this evening, we do have almost 30 minutes before our guest joins us. So please press 1, and we'll see your hand go up in the queue. And I do see a hand that's dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um... I went out the other day to try to get some motherwort, and um, I don't have any growing on my property at the moment that I can uh, that I know of, and I'm I'm still not walking, although I am attempting to put weight on it and sometimes even take a few steps. So that's good news, but um, could, would you would you be able to share a, a possible uh, easy to get to spot that I might be able to get some? Motherwort likes cultivated places. It likes to grow in flower beds and gardens. 
my old patch was at a cemetery, but they did some work and and it got uh, all destroyed. And then I had some at my son's house, and again the same problem happened. And I put some seeds out um, last year, but with the heat wave, and I wasn't able to water. Nothing grew. So what I do when I want a plant is I put it out to the universe and to the plants. Hey, motherwort, I really want you. Please show yourself to me. Make yourself visible to me. I need you now. Well, if I was getting out of the house uh, like a normal person would, I think that would work for me. Do you? But, I know that you don't walk much, but do you yeah. go by car? Yeah, I, I go I go I go by car, and if and there's a spot, I, you know, I can get. Plants can show to, themselves to us when we're in a car. Yeah, every time I think I found it, I pull over and it's mugwort. I see, but they don't look anything alike, and you're not going to find motherwort growing beside the road. No, they don't really look a a a lot a lot a lot alike. I'm not going to find motherwort growing next to the road. Okay, so that's my first mistake. I I was told like a couple spots by people, and I went, and when like I got said, there, it was you mugwort. It in a cemetery, cultivated area. Yeah. Found it at your son's house, right? It's gonna, there's going to yeah. be like some soil fertility in a garden, like at a church, at a library. It's often a weed of those kinds of places. Okay. Oh, that's those are good clues. And and cemeteries have roads you can drive, drive through. I know a couple that um, around here that are quite. Um, oh, I don't know if, if the word spooky is the right word, but, you know, they've got really old trees and really old plants yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be really appropriate for me, too, because I used to spend my meditation hour in the cemetery. When I, All right, good you for know, you. Yeah, when I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just very yeah. concerned that time might be running out um, <clears throat> with the flowering stage. and. Oh, actually, just... motherwort just flowers on and on and on and on. It's even usually available up until September. Oh, and it's still quite medicinal later uh, in it's, other you months? Know, they, it doesn't all come into flower at the same time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I know what it does, yeah. It's kind of strange. All the places. I knew another place um, by the stream in Woodstock, too, and they did a lot of work there, and it's all gone. Mm-hmm. This poor plant is it, really... Awesome. It, well, it's not a perennial. It's not like once you find it, it will always be there. Oh, right. It's not. It makes new seeds. Uh, I mean, it grows right. some it new self, seeds every self, year. It will stay in the same spot for... It, it, it's one of the Moves kind around. of what they call a tender perennial. Because a perennial is any plant that lasts for three years or more. And many of the mints last for three years, not more. Right, motherwort will do see. that, right? There'll be young plants, they're pretty, then the second year they'll have yeah. flowers, the third year they have a ton of flowers, and then they just kind of die back, if not you die know, off. Funny, funny you're bringing up that point, because while I was meditating on it, that thought, like, 
struck me the strongest that, you know, don't forget it's an annual. It's a, so it's a, where, it's a, yeah. It's a not persistent perennial. It's not an annual. Oh, it, oh, I'm sorry. Some of the mints, like shiso, is an annual. Perilla frutacins is an annual. It goes oh. from seed to seed in one season. Oh. And some of the mints, like lemon balm, are perennials. They go on and on and on and try to get rid of your lemon balm patch. Not happening. Oh, that's another thing that took right. a and then some of them, summer. Some of them, like in in my climate, your climate, sage, thyme, motherwort, are tender perennials. They will last. Yeah. They will last into the third year, but often, and they will be very floriferous in their third year, and then it's like goodbye. Well, Unless you go out. And so cutting off all the flowering tops is a good thing. And if you find a patch of any kind of mint, including motherwort, it's already flowered and made seeds, and you want it to make more flowers, just cut off the seed heads, and it will regrow and make new flowers. Oh, like nettles. I was thinking that. That I think that's what that's the thought I was having. Yes, that I like, wonder if it's any, like, like nettles. any plant. Plants are yeah. geared to be eaten. Okay. Right, that's kind of did... their lot in life, is they get eaten, and they especially okay. get eaten by grazing animals which bite off their tops. Well, then, I can take, I can get mm-hmm. enough for, like, maybe a, um, uh, you know, a half pint um, from my son's new planting, and he didn't want me to take it because he says, oh, I, I want it to grow bigger and, and make seeds, so... Uh, now that I know, we can just cut off the tops, and, it, and it'll right. still grow and you will, seeds later. It will still oh, good. have seeds later, absolutely. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. cause my heart, the, 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 the only thing really about being um, challenged with mobility that uh, truly, truly bothers me is, is not getting out there with the plants like I used to. And... Um, my my yard used to have so many things, but um, I used to take, you know, better care of it. And, um, oh, just last year, the drought just wiped out so many stuff, even almost the, all the lemon balm and the uh, lemon balm and the bee balm. Of course, somebody thought they were helping me and came along with a rake when I wasn't looking, too. And when I heard it, oh, boy. Yeah, I was like, no. Oh, I'm no, leave that litter on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I leave those leaves on purpose, on purpose, you know. You're on moist. Right. And and with the late frost, too, that that's another reason. My herb garden survived that drought very, very well because I leave all the plantain in my herb garden as a ground cover, and it is a ground cover. Those leaves like flat on the ground, right? Oh, yeah. And, they they you know, really are hardy. And people always say, yeah. oh, look at all this plantain. This is weed in your herb garden. You want it out? I'm like, no, you leave it be. Oh. Yeah, I'm it not into weed at moisture all. in. Well, I, I, I am not beyond pulling out a plantain if it crowds something. But well, if it yeah, will I, I behave it. itself and cover up any soil, then I am happy to indulge it. Yes. 
And I, have, yeah. and I do this more with the narrow leaf than the broad leaf. The broad leaf can get, like, kind of pushy in a garden area. I actually mm-hmm. saw a broad leaf plantain in, in somebody's garden uh, with individual leaves, I don't know, maybe six inches across. <laughs> Just enormous. We were laughing at it. Like, <laughs> right, you'd have to poultice a dozen people with one leaf. Yeah, it's funny when you get the jumbo size. Like, what are you? What are you? Who, trying to get everybody's attention? <laughs> <laughs> I saw plantain that big, um, plantago, uh, in Costa Rica too. Is that normal or? It's, yeah, it's a broadleaf plantain. Yes. Yes, and how big it gets in absolutely no soil with no fertility. So you give it some good soil and good good fertility. It's like. Woo! Super plantain. Hmm. Yeah, I have it growing in my gravel driveway, but people bring their cars up and down, so I don't eat generally there. Um, but I think I'm going to have to try to reseed, you know, my my growing areas that aren't walked or driven on, and I have to try to uh, ho- hopefully get get some seeds um, uh, and, and sprinkle them where I want them. I have to try to do it before the leaves fall, though, because if, if I sprinkle them on top of the leaves, a lot of times they don't get to the soil. That's so true. Yeah. It's all so tricky, the timing of everything. Yeah. Good thing so, nature takes um, care of it without much input from us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had uh, one other question about um, something I read today. Uh, wasn't looking, it just popped up. Um, chicory root killer, and I had never heard of that before. I, I drank it, but not because I was trying to kill some pain. I just, uh, it's a New Orleans thing with coffee, uh, half chicory root and half coffee that's how they drink it yep yep so, so and i like it and i used to be able to still buy a bag of it uh i don't see it around anymore um so maybe maybe i'll get some and and grind it up and um uh, that's a really that great on. idea and i was reading that it's ideal to harvest the chicory root in the middle of the summer, when it's flowering, because it has less medicinal qualities then, and so it tastes better in your coffee. Oh, that's for the drinking uh, part of the, of the coffee, yeah. But for medicinal, you would probably for want to For medicinal, you go, you know, for the bitter part in the fall. Yeah. But say, oh, if you're going to harvest yeah. it, you know, for adding it to coffee – Get it while it's flowering in the summer. It's going to be sweetest. Well, that's another thing. When somebody was, you know, trying to, they thought, do me a favor. They, <laughs> I see them ripping up all the chicory. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's a weed. And I'm like, no, it's not a weed. It's growing on purpose there. <laughs> it's my medicine. Yeah, so it's been a, a really couple of odd, strange uh, uh, couple of years here. I've 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 had um, 
But anyway, I'm I'm okay because I'm determined to regroup. Um, and uh, yeah, I just bought a whole case of um, hundred proof vodka. All right. <laughs> I know that sounds like a lot. But, no, um, it does not. And you know, it's no, not. Yeah. It's not too late to make elderflower tincture. There's still elderflowers out. Yeah, I don't think. I don't uh, think. At this point, you could make any elderflower, any more elderflower champagne. I think the rain has just totally destroyed all the yeast on the elder blossoms. But even yeah, if you got a couple of good awesome. hours of sunlight, you could harvest elderflowers for tincture. Oh, okay. Okay. I was quite impressed. Um, I went out today, and there was so much elder still in bloom. Uh, yeah, it's... Um and a very extended uh, spring we're having here with the cool, cooler weather and all the all the rain. It's almost I'm like May and June that. changed places, huh? Like it was hot in May and then cool in June. Yeah, and it's the total opposite of last year. I didn't get a single, well, maybe I got a few drops. And I mean just like one, two, three. Oh, that's it. Between June 1st and um, July 15th last year. Whew. Oh, yeah. I remember the year that we couldn't harvest any nettle because it rained every day in May and every day in June. It's really no good. Even something like that's no good if it's uh, wet. It's just no good, huh? No, you simply just cannot harvest an herb to dry it in the rain. And when we finally well, did get it, a couple of clear days so we could harvest. Then we hung it up. We had to turn on the wood stove because it started raining again and the air was just so saturated with moisture. We're like, Ugh, the only way this is going to dry is if we heat up the room. But you could still make soup with it, right? Usually when I'm harvesting nettle for soup, I'm harvesting the top four to six leaves. And when I'm harvesting it yeah. for infusion, I'm harvesting the top 18 to 24 inches. Oh, Eight for different. the infusion, you can do more? Of course, the stalk is quite good in the infusion. Oh, I, I, I don't know why I, I thought um, it just was um, too much of the oxalic acid uh, if it got like above your knees. But I guess that's just for eating, right? I don't think there's any oxalic acid in nettle. There's not? No. Huh, there's a lot of bad information going around. i got to stop paying attention. I'm getting my mind getting scrambled. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think of nettle as a plant that contains oxalic acid. Spinach does. Yeah, beets do. They say if you want to... Beet greens, not the beets, but beet greens. Yeah. They say you just want to cook it, and that destroys it all, right? It it contains a tiny amount of oxalic acid. It did, right. So alcohol... Outside, it's um, one of the things that causes the sting, so it's completely evaporated when you dry it. Right, right, right. Which is why I said there isn't any, because I use it in dried form. Also, um, oxalic acid is very heat sensitive, so when it's cooked, it's pretty much destroyed. 
Would alcohol uh, do the same, like a tincture, anything? I, I wouldn't tincture stinging nettle. I can't imagine any reason for tincturing it. Oh, really? Okay. All right. If I were to make a tincture of stinging nettle and make an infusion of stinging nettle, there would be these differences. I would harvest four ounces of fresh stinging nettle and dry it to make one ounce of stinging nettle to make my infusion. So that would make me one quart of infusion. Right. It It would take about four ounces of fresh nettle to make a quart of tincture. Alcohol does not dissolve minerals, but let's say that it did. Let's say that the mineral content of my quart of tincture and my quart of infusion is the same. And let's say mm-hmm. that it's a 1,000 milligrams. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drink the quart of nourishing herbal infusion and get that 1,000 right, milligrams. Right, right, Healthy. right. I get it. I'm not right. going to drink a quart of tincture. A quart. Right. Right? A right. cup is 250 milligrams. That means an ounce, because there's eight ounces per cup, is 30 milligrams. So there's 40 dropperfuls per ounce. That means there's less than one milligram of calcium per dropperful of nettle tincture. Ah, I was, I, I, I think something has gone wrong with my brain because I was thinking just the opposite. And now that I hear you say it, I'm like, I knew that. I know that. Huh. Interesting. I'm, I'm actually, um, I have an allergic reaction to alcohol. Um, I get I get um, allergic asthma. I get fluid in my lungs and in my in my whole entire respiratory system. It's quite severe. So, so if I, you wash your hands with an alcohol-based hand wash, this happens? N- 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 no, but um, I don't. Then taking a tincture will not cause it to happen. Well, you will absorb less alcohol from the tincture that you absorb by washing your hands. It's probably not the alcohol. It's pro- I was told it's probably the commercial yeast because I can have natural yeast uh, alcohol ferment with, with zero problems. So it's got to be, I think it's something they Vodka they call, does not have any yeast remaining in it. Once the tincture is made with the vodka, there's, there is no yeast contamination of any kind. Hmm. And it's why I use vodka. Because it is hmm. okay for people who have allergic reactions. Like myself, I don't know if you listened to the show earlier, but I'm horribly sensitive to alcohol. It makes me very sick. Yeah, I get, I get very sick, too. But I can take tinctures made with... Yeah. Proof vodka. Again, the amount of tincture. Because we're taking such a small amount. Yeah. A tiny amount. Exactly. And I, it's I have no problem. And I'm taking it in other liquids. And it's been changed yeah. because the plant constituents are in it now. Yes. And making it strong helps too. Uh, right. 
and some of this commercial we, stuff listen, is so weak. People say, see, I absolutely cannot take alcohol orally. Then I say, take the tincture, put it yeah. in the palm of your hand, and rub it between the palms of your hands. You can absorb a significant amount dermally. If you can wash your hands with an alcohol-based hand wash, then you can use a tin. You can wash your hands with a tincture and get some benefit from it that way. Yeah. I, I have no problem taking the tincture, not, none at all. I, I just I was thinking for a second that it's more powerful than you know taking it in in another way. Uh, oh, the, so no, the nourishing herbal infusions couldn't be more powerful as tinctures because they're nourishing, and a tincture can't be nourishing because minerals don't dissolve very well in alcohol. Yeah, and you don't have to wait six to eight weeks or a year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You just have to wait until your herb is dry or you buy it dry. Anyhow, I'm so oh, thank always you. glad to talk to you. Thank you thank for your you, call. Susan. Me too. Thanks for sharing. Good night. Blessings. Good night. Good blessings. All right. And I'm not seeing another hand that's been raised, but I do see that Michael Griswold has dialed in in the uh, waiting room. We should go on to Michael, and I hope that the caller who just raised their hand will come back next week. Michael. Oh, I, hold on. His call dropped. Okay, so I take that back. His call. He's not in the waiting room, but we are about one minute from when he should be. So apologies for the what? interruption. He was. He's not here, eh? He is not Spanish. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, a little unclear. Michael is or is not with us. Is not. Is not. He is not. And there's another hand raised with a question. I'm happy to do that. Um, nope, I don't see another hand either. Oh, and there's no um, question. Okay, well, then what shall we do? I guess we should sing a song. Aww. I'll go ahead and introduce Michael, hoping that he'll be here by the time I'm done. Michael Griswold is a survivor of deep-seated trauma who has devoted himself to helping others heal from similar experiences. Michael's journey to healing began after he tragically lost his pregnant wife and unborn son in a car accident, leaving him consumed by grief and guilt for years. Despite trying various methods such as therapy, medication, yoga, and breathing, Michael still felt like something was wrong with him, and that's when he turned to psychedelics. During a heroic journey with LSD, Michael found the healing he had been searching for. He discovered that the love he had for his wife was both tragical and beautiful, and that his thoughts did not have to control his reality. This experience led him to a new understanding of life as a present experience, free from the endless stream of thoughts that had plagued him before. Today, Michael is a passionate advocate for the healing power of psychedelics and offers help for people suffering from depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Through his work, Michael seeks to spread awareness about the benefits of psychedelics so others can experience the same transformative healing that he did. What a beautiful bio. Has Michael, mm-hmm. has Michael shown up? I am not seeing his number here. I have tried to dial him in and um, was not getting an answer from his line. 
And now I have just sent him a text message with the dial-in number. Um, but I'm not seeing him here. I am seeing well, a hand see. that is... Yeah, let's see if we can channel him. His first question, can you share your personal journey of healing after experiencing a tragic loss? How did you find the strength to move forward? In so in his bio, he says that he was consumed by not just grief, but guilt. And I was talking today with Talia, the apprentice, about um, my training with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and how she told us that shame and blame and guilt are absolutely useless feelings and that she denied us those feelings. We were not allowed to feel shame or blame or guilt and that if we did feel them, we were to immediately stop and say, Elizabeth doesn't allow this. And, of course, it's one of the many ways that Elizabeth really changed my life. And I asked her at one point why people were so attracted to guilt. And she said to me that it gave people a sense of control. She said, really, Susan, it's a chaotic universe. And you just don't know what's going to happen. And guilt is a kind of backward-looking control. Oh, if only I had done this, that wouldn't have happened. And so we convince ourselves through our guilt and our blame and our shame that we can control reality. And I think that this is what's so beautiful about what Michael is saying in his bio, is that he realized that he was creating horror in his reality by his guilt. Let's take a wild leap of imagination and imagine that he was driving the car in which his pregnant wife was killed. It's certainly not beyond possibility, and any of us, of course, would come face-to-face with guilt Mm. if that happened. And yet, guilt is still not the emotion that is going to help us now. Whatever has happened has happened, and we can't unhappen it, but we can happen what's happening right now and when we have in guilt yuck and what does LSD do what does psilocybin do what does mescaline do mescaline shows us that that guilt and that blame and that shame is a choice we have made and that means we can unchoose it it's not like the universe has dumped this on us and we're the helpless victim of our guilt. Oh, I, terrible, horrible being, killed my wife and unborn child. No. It's not our right to be guilty. In fact, it kind of like, you know, takes away from the allness of it if we say, I'm the one who's responsible. No. Life is What happens to us? And we may imagine, plan for, 
hope to create certain things, and some of those things may very well happen, many or a few of them. But in addition, life is going to throw us some real curveballs. So LSD strips away the pretense of control. I am going to say that when Michael Griswold was tripping, that he realized that he wasn't in control, and that it was okay not to be in control, and that not being in control didn't mean he was out of control. His second question, what role did psychedelics play in your healing process? And how do they contribute to your transformation and understanding of life? Well, we actually were already answering that question, weren't we? That by opening up to reality, and I call these substances psilocybin, um, peyote, and LSD, I call them realitrons. No, I do not include ayahuasca. In this, in fact, those who take ayahuasca are very, very clear that ayahuasca does not show you reality, that it shows you something far different than reality, and it's useful to go to that place as well. But psilocybin, peyote, and LSD are actually realitrons. They actually show you reality as it is in all of its wow and all of its yuck. And we come to understand that we are part of reality and reality is part of us and that we don't have any control over it. What we have control over and the only thing we have control over is how we react. And once we see that, it becomes a lot easier to change our reactions. It's not easy by any means. It's not like, oh, you take one hit of LSD and you are the perfect being. Oh, if only we witnessed the water if that were true. But no, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to be shown the path and you have to walk the path. But at least you've been shown the path. I've had people say to me, well, I don't know, you know, about drugs and mental health. That just seems like backwards to me, like, you know, like, uh, it, because what if you, like, get some places well, by taking LSD and then you don't know how to get back to it without the LSD? And I look at it and I say, oh, and the last time you visited California, did you take an airplane? And did you know how to get back? Yeah, you got on the airplane again. I love that. Mm-hmm. We don't walk everywhere, and it's okay not to walk everywhere. And one LSD trip is not necessarily going to turn you into a sage, but it will show you what you need to do to turn yourself into a sage. And it will show you very, very clearly. And I... Very, very glad to see today and notice that the FDA is creating rules for the structured study of these substances in treating post-traumatic stress disorder, intractable depression, and this kind of traumatic grief. Mm. 
What specific benefits have you witnessed or experienced, Michael, with the use of psychedelics for addressing depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder? So I'm not going to answer for him, but I'll answer from um, a student of mine who was fortunate enough to be in a study of uh, terminal cancer patients who were given, given psilocybin. It was a fairly small study, and she was the, actually the only one of them that survived. They, they all were terminal, and they all died. But what happened to every single one of them from a single dose of psilocybin was that they lost their fear of death completely and totally lost their anxiety and their depression and their stress about dying. I met her about 10 years after she'd been in this experiment because she was trying to find some more psilocybin. She said, I'm starting to forget. I'm starting to forget that death is not failure. I need to take some more psilocybin, but it had lasted 10 years for her before she forgot. That's a very, very long time. This is why I call them realitrons. Gradually, reality slips away because we are always invited into the dream. The dream is all around us. The dream is always there to catch us. Reality it's kind of scary. Reality is actually alive. And the terror of life is something that isn't often talked about. I see it frequently in apprentices who get a little bit into the work that we're doing, start to feel the energy, start to feel the chi, start to be outside, start to feel the life and go, I can't even begin to be able to slam the door. It is scary. And yet there's something about peyote, psilocybin, and LSD that take that fear from us. I think it's because we say, oh, yeah, okay, wow, life is really scary, but I'm not in charge. It's okay. It's just life, and I'm just part of it. Wow. What fun. How do you address concerns or skepticism about the use of psychedelics for healing? What safety precautions or guidelines do you recommend? And so, again, we have this, to me, really ironic double standard here. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Psychedelic substances, which have been used by human beings, for longer than we have cultivated food plants, and we know this from DNA evidence, um, suddenly need safety precautions? Which drugs don't need safety precautions? Drugs which is the leading cause of death, when even when properly prescribed and properly used, don't need safety precautions, but psychedelics do, and guidelines. I think if we had the same safety precautions and guidelines for the use of drugs as are being suggested for psychedelics, we would see drug use drop by 90%. Because any time there was any possibility that the drug could injure someone, we'd have to say, don't take it. So 
Could you be injured by taking a psychoactive substance? You could be. Absolutely. You could find yourself face-to-face with a reality that you do not want to deal with. And how you choose to not deal with that, as I've said, can vary between slamming the door shut on it, I simply am not going to have anything to do with it, to completely losing your sense of structure and self. It's not that these substances take that away from you. It's a choice that you make, that you can make, which is this substance is dissolving the boundaries, and I am going to let it dissolve the boundary of my personal being. Now, let me talk about something that I talk about very much, because I think it's really germane and pretty interesting. And this has to do with chakras. And the word chakra literally means wheel of light or moving wheel of energy. And people are pretty conversant with chakras nowadays. And they kind of see this rainbow lineup of chakras up the front of the body, these spinning wheels of light up the front of the body. And people can be taught and they can learn how to open and close those chakras so that you can expand your heart chakra, you can contract your heart chakra, you can expand your third eye, you can contract your third eye. Each of your chakras has the possibility to be expanded and contracted just like the pupil of your eye. This is a two-dimensional view of the chakras. If we were to get a three-dimensional view of the chakras, we would need to look at our human figure from the side. So we're not seeing the face front on. We're seeing it side on. We're seeing the jut of the nose and the jut of the chin. And where the chakras are, lies must call the central core of the body. It's not actually in the very center of the body. It's uh, close to the spine. And the chakras emanate from that central core of energy like cones of light emitting toward the front and emitting toward the back. You get a bigger cone in the front because the vibral core, as grandmother called it, is further back. So as that shines out through the front of you, it makes a bigger circle, as it were. Whereas when it shines out from the back, because it's very close to the back, you get like a little laser place there. So that in most instances... Um, nobody talks about the back chakras, and people certainly aren't made aware of the back chakras, which is absolutely fine, because the back chakras are set at birth. The back chakras, like the front chakras, are irises, and they can open and close, but they have such profound influence on our personality that we don't want them opening and shutting. 
the way we do with the front aspect of the chakras. LSD, peyote, and psilocybin give us access to the back chakras. This is a shamanic practice that is not often talked about and very rarely taught. And part of the, perhaps if we want to call it danger, of working with psychoactive realitrons is that you will reset a back chakra to a setting that is not suitable for you. So be aware of that, a general instruction to the body of should my back chakras change during this journey, and that is not in the interest of my best health, please make sure that they are reset to the factory setting, to the default setting, as I move out of this state. Our bodies are very happy to do exactly as we ask them, and that kind of suggestion, command, request to our body is always met with success because the body wants to do what we ask it to do. So I guess you can tell that I don't think that um, we need to have big safety precautions or guidelines, but at the same time, I'm not against them. The people that I saw who had a real problem using LSD were people who didn't pay any attention to Timothy Leary. And Timothy reminded us over and over again that it's about set and setting. Where are you? And what are you thinking? Where are you physically located? And what have you been experiencing? It did not take me long of taking LSD to understand what is now called garbage in, garbage out. It was extraordinarily clear to me that if I saw a violent movie and then took LSD, that that violence would be replicated all around me and that I would, as it were, hallucinate the violence. But I wasn't hallucinating it. It was really there. It was I had simply been sensitized to it so that I could see it. And because of resonance, I was creating it and projecting it as well into my environment. And I could see that. And I could see that that's what I was doing. No, we don't create reality, but we do create our own reality. There's a difference between the space I'm living in, which is always my space, nobody else in there with me, it's just me, 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 and me, I might invite somebody in to put them down, to fight with them, to put them up, to ask them for advice, certainly I can do that, but they don't live here, I'm the only one who lives here, but reality is not at my whim or indulgence, as we have all learned, how many times have I said, what a what a poor witch I am. I cannot wave a magic wand and undo this horrible thing that has happened. No. That's reality. That's not the reality that's inside my head, but that is reality. And his last question, how has living 
in the present moment helped you, Michael, in your healing journey? What practices or techniques have been effective for you in cultivating presence and letting go of past trauma? And again, I cannot answer that for him and would have been quite interested to hear what answer he had. I'm sorry that you haven't been able to be with us, Michael. I hope that you get a chance to hear this interview and let me know how I did interviewing you. And if there's anything that you want to add to our interview, I'm always happy to, uh, uh, you know, you can just email it in and Sarah Ellen will read it. Oh, no, Susan, you know, totally got it wrong. I wouldn't have said anything like that at all. Or, wow, you know, I'd like to add this or whatever it is. We're happy to have your input. We, I'm very excited to have spoken with you, but we didn't get a chance to, so we're kind of um, creating a reality here within the reality that we're having to deal with, which is Michael hasn't shown up. So that's the reality, and the reality we're creating is that's okay. We'll just pretend he's here now, and we'll enjoy ourselves and have a good time because, again, to circle back to where we started, we could be running shame, blame, and guilt trips, couldn't we? Oh, shame on him for not showing up. Well, we should really blame him. What what a, a flaky thing to not show up. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, is there any, maybe I'm guilty. Maybe I should have done something different that would have made him show up. No, none of those have anything to do with this. And we can see how if we were doing them, we would not be having the fun time and the interesting, exciting interview with Michael that we've managed to have because um, I have enough sister feeling with him to understand some of what he has likely experienced. I'm not him. I certainly can't speak for him and would never say that I am speaking for him. What we're doing, I hope you understand, is pretending. And one of the things that mescaline and psilocybin and LSD teaches is pretend, imagine, create. These are acceptable things to do. We don't have to be brought into a state of misery by our take on reality. Many of you have heard the story of my life falling apart and my endless, endless crying, 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 grieving for four years. You know, finally, uh, somebody who was helping me said, I'm just sick of this, just smile. And I turned on her and said, I don't feel like smiling. Everything I love has been taken from me. It's all gone. Sob, sob, sob. It's four years later. Come on, Susan. And she said, I didn't tell you to feel like smiling. I told you to smile. I don't care what you feel like. And I looked at her and I couldn't believe she was telling me to smile. How dare she? What? Where, where does she get off telling me to smile in the midst of my misery? But I did it because I valued her input. That's why I was asking her for help because I valued her input. And I plastered this absolutely, totally fake smile on my face. And it changed the chemicals in my brain. 
pancreas. That's what happens when you smile. It actually does change the chemicals in your brain. And then it changes the chemicals in your gut because, oh, my gosh, the brain and the gut are like such lovers. They are always like whispering to each other. Did you hear? Oh, my gosh, really? Really? All that, all it took to get me out of that misery that I wallowed in for four years was for somebody to say, smile, I don't care whether or not you feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it took. And from there, I went to Montauk Chia to learn about the yoga of laughter and learn to laugh in every single one of my organs. Whoa. Could you hear that? Did you hear that thunder? I did. Is that what that was? Yeah. Can you hear it? Yeah. Rumbity, rum, rum, rum. Oh, yes. It sounded magnificent and right. very Right. It went rumbly. kaboom, and then it goes rumbity, kaboom, rumbity, 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 rum. <laughs> and then here's the, here's the lightning. That was pretty far off. Wow. <laughs> wow. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Wow. So if you actually want to um, contact Michael, you can email him at mg, that's his initials, right? Michael Griswold, mg, at microdosingacademy.com. I'm not so sure. I talk about microdosing in Abundantly Well. I'm not so sure I'm like 100% on with the microdosing. Um, But I will freely admit that um, I do prefer drama to subtlety, without a doubt. And so I'm, you know, just really much more for just, you know, take a chicken trip and do it. Don't just like piddle around with a little bit here, a little bit there. Just like take two days out of your life and give it to yourself. I don't know if that's what Michael would say, but that's what Susan would say. From Sarah Ellen and Susan, we remind you, the Red Clover Conference is coming. And we say, big girls, buy Hypericum shirts. Everybody, there's still a few Hypericum shirts left, so grab them up while you can. And yes, someone has asked, are you still accepting applications for Green Goddess Week? Yes, I am. I was just talking to someone today who wants to come to Green Goddess Week. So, yes, we are still accepting applications for Green Goddess Week. We are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Thank you, Sarah Ellen, for the enormous loving care and help you give me and all of us. And thank you, everyone who's listening, for being part of this great adventure. Good night and green blessings.